Because there's just nothing better than this. The TrojanSports.com podcast kicks off. Right now? Right now. No, no, I don't know. You said. Cock-a-doodle-doo, Bob. Oh, yeah. Direct from Rivals and Yahoo Sports. This, this is the TrojanSports.com podcast. For a USC with Trojan Sports Publisher, Chris P. Swanson. Moving on. You, you better cut that out, man. I swear. That better, I better not hear that on the podcast. You mean about the him doing that? Yeah, we broke down. The, the Beat reporter, Adam J. Maya. Here we go. Yeah. Message boards. We start March. Yeah. It's the weekly radio show you need for everything USC. Is that your first joke? Follow Trojansports.com on Twitter at USC underscore rivals. The Trojansports.com podcast kicks off now. now, now. Welcome back to another edition of the Trojansports.com podcast. I'm the publisher, Chris Swanson. I'm here with the coolest beat writer in the entire world. Adam J. Maya. Adam, how are you? I'm good. I'm cool. And I'm topless because it is warm. (laughs) Well, I wanted to know you were topless before we started the show. I think everybody wanted to know that. Um, Adam, a special show today for your topless day. I'm sure that this is part of the reason why you are topless. We're doing a questions podcast Q&A today. Are you excited? These are always my favorite shows. I feel like we go out and touch the readers. (laughs) <laughs> okay, you have an interest. It's an interesting start with Adam Maya today. I have to say, but whatever. Right into the questions. I, I miss Chris Morales. Okay, if I'm being, if I'm being honest, I miss him. I miss our banter. I miss his Musk, and uh, I actually reached out to him a couple weeks back and uh, wished him a happy Father's Day, which was. Uh, misguided but we don't have to talk about that so it's too bad that he's not here with us anymore okay just full of surprises today Uh, i think that the theory that nick and you are one might actually be true now i'm starting to really believe it or is that nick and chris morales i don't even remember the joke anyway let's get into the questions though and uh, for that, Nick, Trojan Fan 68, there's a lot of basketball questions today. I know you're all excited. Don't tune out. We'll get to football. It's coming. We promise. Let's start with Darcy Bug. Darcy Bug says, hate to start it off with a basketball question. <laughs> hey, thanks, Darcy. Read my mind. But I'm curious how deep and meaningful time will go with this roster. Does Andy Enfield play with eight, or does he go deeper? Adam, what are your thoughts on uh, USC's rotation this year? Are they going that deep with the rotation? They can. I think that's what we know right now, that they can. That they can go deeper, that they're going to have a bench. We don't see a lot of teams just swap out five for five. So even though I could name, I could rattle off ten names, that I could foresee playing meaningful playing time. I'm inclined to think that they'll look for, they'll try to settle on a seven to eight man rotation by the time they get to the conference. Now in the preseason, while they do have a few more tests than they did a year ago, we'll probably see them go pretty deep and play as many people as possible. But I would still think it would be seven to eight in conference play. 
What do you think? Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think they go deep early because USC's uh, non-conference schedule in basketball is usually pretty easy. It seems a little bit tougher this year, but it's usually pretty easy. I think that gives you the chance to get people experience. But I don't think you really want to go that deep with the rotation in games that are tough games or go-either-way games. I think you want to play your best players. I feel like college basketball is a game, too, where uh, you know it's not a long strenuous game i feel like it's kind of it moves quickly it's one of the quicker moving sports so i i think you want to play your best players so i don't think they go you know that deep i really don't i think if we're talking about meaningful minutes i mean seven maybe i i don't know i think you want to play your best players and i think if usc has guys that are standing out you know that those are going to be the guys that get most of the minutes and the other thing to remember is that Two of their top players are seniors, Jordan McLaughlin, Elijah Stewart. Those are starters. Those guys will get a lot of run. And then maybe your two best players are Metu and Boatwright, who are both juniors now. So you have that core four. They're not going to be coming off the court that much. It's going to be competitive to break the rotation. So I can see a handful of people vying for these spots. But I would expect that maybe some of the freshmen and even sophomores still might have to wait their turn. They don't have a guy who's one and done and who's this elite NBA prospect that you're only going to get him for this year and then he's gone, so you're going to play him. They have guys that they're going to be developing. They can kind of take more time with them and try to build them a little bit more and maybe not use them as much as they would have a couple years ago. So I think they're going to lean on their experience on their veterans, and therefore with younger guys, if you're going to be inconsistent or maybe you're not fitting in well, you might have to wait. It, It might be a situation where they have some really good talent on the bench that we just don't see a lot of until... 2018, 2019. Wow, good good insight there, Adam. A lot of time we just spent on basketball. Darcy Bug, thank you so much for the question. We appreciate it. We're moving on to uh, football, football recruiting. This is a question I know everybody's going to like. I'm going to have to ask myself this question. But Adam, before I ask the question, how do you pronounce this username? Go for it. Athens, 74. There you go. I always screw that up. The I's and the E's always mess me up. He asked, best guess, Sewell or Latu? That's Penny Sewell, the offensive lineman from Utah. And Cameron Latu, the uh, outside linebacker, D-end stand-up type uh, pass rusher from Utah. SC or Alabama? I'm going to direct that question to myself. Uh, there's been a lot of noise about Alabama for both of these guys lately. It seems like Alabama's come on very strong. I guess with Cameron Latu, they were, they were at one point his favorite shortly after he uh, backed off his commitment to BYU, but he sort of backed off those statements uh, shortly afterwards and, and didn't really name Alabama as his favorite. But he has them in his top three, USC, Alabama, Utah. Uh, Penny Sewell, there's a lot of speculation that, it's, that he's going to Alabama or that it's a USC-Alabama battle. Uh, 
uh, early on in Penny Sewell's recruitment, uh, I was I was told that there's a lot of confidence that USC was going to get him. Um, Alabama has come on much stronger since then, so I think that it is more of a 50-50 thing. I think it is more of a toss-up, but I'm going to pick USC for Penny Sewell. Um, you know they're recruiting a lot of offensive linemen, so it it would kind of make sense if he does go with Alabama. But I just know how high he is on the Trojan program, and, and that he has been high on them for so so long, ever since he was a kid. And he's a guy out west uh, in Utah, and in a part of Utah that's the western part of Utah, even. So you you know it almost feels like Eastern Nevada in a way, I guess. Uh, Cameron Law too, I think it's USC as well because uh, he has a bunch of family that's originally from. Uh, Los Angeles, uh, 310 area code type family, and I know that he was uh, high on Alabama because they're such a good football program. He still is high on Alabama, obviously, as I mentioned, a top three and a decision coming, so who knows, but I'm picking USC for Cameron Law, too, as well. I'm picking USC for both of them. All right. Yeah. Moving on to uh, Exodus 1, our good friend go. Exodus 1. Here we go. Yeah, uh, he's got three questions for us, kind of violating the rules that I said in the thread where I tried to have people keep it short, but Why it's okay. We pick one? We're gonna... Let's pick one. Oh, we're going to do that? Yeah. Okay, you pick it, Adam, because I'm going to pick uh, one that you're not going to want to answer, so you go for it. Okay. One of the questions is, have any USC football parents made comments on the Matt Corral situation and Clay Hilton's high character stance that might be of interest to fans. That was the last one I expected you to pick, honestly. Um, Adam, do you have any spec any anything on this? I know you talked to parents. Yeah. Yeah the, on the, the football teams. Sure. And Go for it. The feedback I've gotten is that they're not surprised. Now, first and foremost, I don't think you want to take chances with the quarterback because ultimately you're looking for him to be the face of your program. But beyond that, Helton is still newer, but because he's been around the block at USC and built up his cachet, I think we're seeing more of him. Like, we're seeing more of who he really is, what he stands for, what he wants the program to look like. And this is one of the biggest decisions that he's made in recruiting, maybe the biggest, to part ways with a quarterback in the middle of the summer when the majority of them are committed. Now, Chris Watson, you wrote a piece today. This is Monday July 10th, you wrote a piece about Justin Fields, the five-star quarterback from Georgia that USC is pursuing, basically pointing toward the fact that Fields is unlikely to come to USC. He's interested, he likes him, but it doesn't look likely that he'll make that jump and move across country to be their quarterback. And that's really the guy that if you're going to drop Matt Corral and you can get Justin Fields, then you don't even think twice about it from a talent perspective. Moving forward, I think USC will settle or decide on a nice quarterback. 
but it's going to be someone who, at this stage in their career, probably won't be as good as Matt Corral. And Hilton knew that. He knew that when he made this decision. And I don't think he might. I think that for him, it wasn't worth it. And so when I've talked to parents, they've made that point that with Helton, he's just not going to tolerate that. You know, as much as he will look to to help you grow in your character and be a father figure, he's not going to stand for... <laughs> I don't want to say too much here, but he just... He's going to draw lines. And he drew a line here. So they weren't surprised. And we weren't surprised. Even though... On the surface, it was a surprise that it, it ended up happening because I figured that Matt Corral would not sabotage this. But I'm not surprised that Clay Helton would go in another direction and move on from him. Great answer, Adam. Exodus 1, keep asking questions. We'll get to all of your questions eventually. And if you want to blame somebody, blame Adam. He's also the one that deletes everybody's comments on the message board. It's not me. So... Uh, <laughs> Thanks for asking. And uh, we will move on to Alex Bow, who asks another basketball question. Here we are, back to basketball. Uh, Alex Bow asks, how many basketball players do we expect to sign in addition to the three commitments so far? Who are the targets for any remaining rides? Well, I'm going to take this one, I guess. Um, so... The thing with basketball is that uh, it's, it's kind of hard to gauge because guys can leave at any time or whatever. So if you look at the roster, it seems like USC only has uh, three seniors uh, going into this year. So they have filled those three spots. And then I think that you know they're preparing for a few guys to potentially leave early. Uh, probably the guys that we talked about last year that it was a question of whether or not you know they, they were going to leave last year. Benny Boat, right? Uh, Chemezi Met, too, are the two names that uh, jump out to me. Maybe somebody else sneaks in there and becomes a, a guy that you know could possibly leave or whatever. And so I guess you're looking at five at that point uh but we don't really know um we we don't really know because you know more guys could transfer uh you know or uh, i don't know maybe somebody does come back that's not expected even though that seems less likely um so it's a wait and see type situation signing day for them isn't until uh closer to the season and then they're going to go through the season, and then we'll kind of find out the rest of it, um, you know, when, I guess, when these guys declare for the draft or whatever, declare their intentions to transfer uh, or whatever it might be. So it's wait and see at this point. Right, right uh, now, but they're, they're preparing for four. That can change. Is that what but, you see? Yeah. No, that, that's what I've been told, that they're looking at four. Makes sense. So they're already very close to filling that, and uh, I think that when when you know that there's one more left, uh, one spot left that you're really looking at, and uh, you know you're you're recruiting at, a, at such a high level that they are this year, I think that you know you're probably looking at uh, maybe a national guy that they pull out, or maybe you know one of the top kids in the area that uh, they battle for. You know. Um, 
I guess people will be looking at a, a Jules Bernard as a guy that, that stands out to me from Los Angeles or Elijah Hardy from Bishop O'Dowd up in Oakland. Uh, but they have offers out all over um, the country, really, at this point, um, because USC's kind of can recruit nationally, I guess, even in basketball. Their staff has a national presence and a presence back in Florida. So they have plenty of options. They even have, you know, they have these offers out even to, to lower level guys, I guess, to fill in those spots if they need them. So we're going to have to see kind of how the, the dominoes fall, though. Great insight, though, on basketball, Adam. I'm, I'm well, we're not impressed done. with you. I'm always impressed with you. Oh, we're not done with basketball. We're not because uh, Trojan fan 68 is here, our good friend, uh, who I might have referenced earlier in the show. Maybe not. I don't know. He says, hi, Chris and Adam. Another David Law question, but with a twist. And if you're not familiar, David Law asks us to play a game called Draft the Trojans, where we draft uh players on the football team for specific position groups and uh, how we think they're going to do over their career. Uh, he says, pick your basketball Trojan six-man team each. Chris and Adam, pick your top six men's basketball team players on the current roster. There's a 13-man roster. Fight on. Love what you guys do. Thank you, Nick. We appreciate the question. Thank you, Nick. Adam? Yeah? I will let you draft first because I feel like that's what gentlemen do. All right. The whack part about this <laughs> as it often is is that I'm also considering guys who I've never seen play college basketball. But they have to be drafted. That's not fun. So I just want to make that point because I feel like you could take Chuck O'Bannon first. And that's not crazy. But then what if he's not that guy? Um, we, we just don't have the benefit of, you know, really seeing these guys up close yet. But whatever, I'll play the game. I'm gonna take Shemenzi Matthew, number one. Okay, I will take Benny Boatwright. All right. Now we're drafting them based on what we their like their college career, right? What they'll yes. They'll finish with yeah so now you're gonna say chuck o'banning because you asked me to clarify that so uh, i don't know because he might not be around that long i guess I'll oh that's take, a good point too i didn't Jordan even think McLaughlin. about that oh wow okay uh i didn't even think about that you're right because how do you balance that as well like if they blow up and they're like the top guy and they leave after one year does that? I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take Chuck O'Bannon because I just I think he's that next guy. So okay. I'll take him. I'll take Derek Thornton. Okay. Uh, I'll take uh, Jonah Matthews. I like it. I th I thought about him. I like him. All right, I'm going to go with Gianni Milken. Yeah, that that was uh, my next pick if you didn't take him. Ooh, getting tough now, I feel like. Uh, oh, gosh. I feel like I'm going to miss somebody and you're going to laugh at me, too. That's the other oh. thing. 
Uh, Nick uh, Rakozovic. Okay. I'll take him. Now, are we both kicking four? I lost track. I think we both have kicking four. So, we got to kick two more. My fifth guy, Elijah Stewart. I feel like we overlooked him, possibly. No. Or at least I did. I, I, yeah, I think you did. I might have overlooked him. Uh, so who's who's? Oh, I, well, I guess I can't really ask who's left here. This is tough. You know, I'm gonna take uh, I'm gonna take Victor Oye uh, Lunmo because uh, I, I feel like six eleven guys have a future. All right. Yeah, freshmen are good picks. You might get a few years out of them. My final pick will be Harrison Henderson. Okay. I like that pick too, honestly. Do you know who we left off? <laughs> You're not looking at the roster? Uh, no, I know all these guys off the top of my head. As you know, I'm, I'm a basketball guru. So... Whatever. I just can't. I lost track. It's okay. That's our draft, right? Well, we don't have to go. You need to draft one more guy. Oh, you do I? You have an incomplete Oh, roster. my gosh. I thought I already did six. So, yeah. um, hmm. See, some of these guys here, though, are, that I like are older. Uh, you have no idea what you're talking about. No, I don't. I might be looking at at guys that you've already picked. Honestly, did you pick Shaquan Aaron? No. <laughs> I'll take him. All right. I don't really know why at this point. <laughs> now I think, I think Nick's question was actually asking us to just pick our top six, and there could have been overlap. But I like this better. Okay. Yeah. So I'm glad. I'm glad you like our version of his game better. Let's compare Nick, teams. I hope we answered it. Let's so. compare teams, okay? All right. Okay. I got, you go for it. I got Meku, Thornton, Nick Laughlin, Melkin, Stewart, and Harrison. Okay. Anderson. Okay. Okay. You have Shaquan uh, Aaron, Jonah Matthews. Jonah. Yeah. Yeah, you have O'Bannon. Uh, you have Boatwright, and you have Rakosevic. And you have Victor Uyelunmo. Good job. Good job with that pronunciation. I think that's a pretty evenly matched team right there. I think yeah. we did a good job. No? Okay. Uh, if, if we were running, like, if we were running fives, I think my team handles your team. Okay. I might not have, like, one guard. For all I know, so I might just have like six, like six foot eleven guys and no ball handling. You have Shaquan. He's okay. Shaquan, Shaquan will carry forward. the guard play. Yeah, he'll he'll carry the guard play in the college game. No problem. Good team, Chris. Good job. Okay. You have you have Jonah. Uh, Jonah's actually good. I I really like Jonah Matthews. I like his brother. So he's one of the players I'm thinking of where he might not break into the rotation this year. But that's not an indictment on him. 
it's because they have a lot of depth and he might just have to wait and maybe the following year he's uh, one of their key players. Yeah, I like him a lot too. All right. So uh, Nick also asks uh, if if the, how we feel the coaching staff has recruited, and uh, I'll just say very quickly, I think it's clear that if they sign these guys in this 2018 class that they have commitments from right now, they will have recruited phenomenally uh, for USC basketball. I don't think there's any question about that. So, I mean, they've already. I don't done, know if you agree. They've already done a very good job. Now, I think I favor guys that are elite NBA prospects, and I'm sure that they want those guys and just haven't been able to rein them in. So they've gotten guys that are the next level who they're going to stick around for a few years, and you can develop a program that way. I just think that if you're going to win, if you're going to win big, if you're going to win the conference, if you're going to make a run and maybe win the national title, which is, I believe, the end game here, then you're going to need a, a first-round top, you know, a lottery, a lottery prospect. And they haven't had that guy. No, I agree, but, you know, you usually have to pay for those guys, so that, that can be hard. <laughs> that can never stop anyone. Well, the NCAA has made sure that it will stop USC from doing that. So, a conversation for another day, I'm sure. Nick, or TrojanFan68, see what I did there? I messed up. Thank you for the question. We appreciate it. And look who asks a question right after Nick, or TrojanFan68, did it again. David Law. David Law. Uh, wants to play his game, which we love to play. We just played it, so why not play it again? A different different version. David Law says, In this edition of Draft the Trojans, please take turns selecting the top 12 from SC's freshman class of 2017 using the usual criterion. Projecting the best overall SC career, as we explained last time. David Law, we would be happy to. Yeah, you know what? Okay, I'm going to make an amendment. I'm just going to Okay. Because I, I do like this question, but I'm going to ask that we do it after training camp. So what I'm going to do, and I could just skip David Law, but we're going to take the top 12 from the class of 2016. Because at least with those guys, we've been able to see them. And a lot of them redshirt, so it's not like we have a lot of data on them. But at least I've been able to see them practice. With 2017, they had a handful that came in the spring. But otherwise, I haven't seen them. I don't count Huddle as really seeing them. So give me training camp, and I'll entertain this question. But for now, let's do 2016. Wow, Adam, you, you threw me for a loop, but I'm ready for you. Yeah? I and think you, so. You draft first. I can? Yeah, so we're going to do the top 12, meaning you start with one, and then I'll be the 12th pick. Okay. Six and six. Pretty much what we did with basketball. Okay. Oh, you know what? At the top, it's very tough for me. I don't think it's tough after the top, really. But at the top, top, there's two players that I really am struggling with here. I'm going to take Michael Pittman, though. Okay. 
and that's it. Michael Pittman. Do you want me to explain why? Okay, um, I think he. When I, when I saw him in high school, I thought he was uh, the best wide receiver on the West Coast. I thought he was an obvious five-star prospect. He's not ranked as a five-star coming out of high school by Rivals.com, but we disagree. Um, I, he played his first year. I know he didn't play a lot because they had a lot of receivers, but he did play a role. I thought he handled it well. I thought he looked ready for college football. Uh, with his size, I feel like that's a receiver that you need and can use a lot. The one thing that, that almost made me pull towards my second pick, which I feel like is going to be Adam's first pick, uh, is the fact that I feel like USC has so many receivers that, you know, who knows what really happens down the line where I feel like maybe at another position with a guy like this, you know that he's going to play some kind of role. But I just feel like Michael Pittman uh, is on a different level than all these receivers that they brought in in this class. You know, it was, it was such a heralded class at that position and so many top guys, I feel like he's clearly the best. So he's my number one pick. All right. Yeah, I, I didn't think that there was – well, I, I don't think that – that wouldn't be my number one pick, but I felt like you could probably go in a few different directions. I'm going to pick Jack Jones. Yeah, that was my, that was my the guy yeah, I was that's who I figured struggling you were, with. For Frank. Okay, so Jack is in position right now to, to be a starter – and I think he has star qualities and star potential. And I don't think it's just hype. I think that he will develop into, at worst, an above-average player. But I think he can be even greater than that. So Jack Jones is my, my number one pick. Yeah, that's a good pick, as I, as I said before. I'm going to take Jordan Iosefa next. I feel like he was severely underrated coming out of high school. I feel like he could be a really impressive linebacker for them and a guy that maybe uh, is much better than people expect. Uh, I, I think he's eventually going to be a freak for them at linebacker, and people are going to look back at his ranking and go, how is he a 5.73 star? This guy should have been a, you know, a uh, Rivals 104 star. Or something like that. So I'll take Jordan Iosef. I have a lot of confidence that USC uh, found him, evaluated him, and got him, and that he's really in that class, maybe one of the best high school linebackers in that class. Yeah, he was definitely underrated. I'm high on him as well. I'm curious to see whether they consider putting him at weak side linebacker and putting him next to Cam and not behind Cam at middle. I thought that would be the plan there because I think that he's their second best in Scott linebacker. But even if he doesn't have that role this year, um, I think he's going to find his way on the field and be very productive for them. I'm looking at a few names here. I think, uh, again, this is, we, a lot of these guys, either they redshirted or they played very little. So... I don't think that there are wrong answers here, but coming off of spring, I'm inclined to go with Bayless Jones. I actually felt like he was the most talented receiver uh, among this 2016 group that I've seen over the last 12 months. 
He's another guy where they're going to have to figure out maybe how they're going to get him on the field. It's not as clear right now. But I think he's going to prove to be too good to not play. And I think that once he plays, he's going to make plays. Wow, I'm surprised we uh, we have two receivers ranked so high. So would you have picked him over Pittman then? Yeah, yeah, but but not convincingly. I think that you know Tyler Vaughn's can be picked here too. It, it's you wouldn't be wrong for picking him ahead of those two. Go, those will be my top three among the receivers right now because there are six. Keyshawn Young has moved over. He's a receiver now. So. Between the three that we mentioned, and then Young, and then Sigme, and Joshua Matorbebe, and with four of them redshirting, and Keyshawn playing corner last year, and Pittman really just playing special teams, we don't know a lot about any of them yet. But at least I've been able to watch him practice, and I, I go with Valis before Pittman. Okay. Fair enough. I still feel confident in my assessment. I think uh, Pittman was sandbagging it to give the other guys a chance this spring, honestly. But that's just my take. Uh, My next pick, you said there's a lot of names to look at. Um, I feel like this one's kind of clear. But maybe I'm wrong, and you'll prove me wrong in a second. Uh, Jamel Cook. Yeah. Jamel, I, I think that he just has that potential. I mean, he has the potential, I feel like, to be like, maybe the number one guy. Maybe the guy we should have picked number one, really. I, you know, they, And they're going to need him eventually. Uh, they're going to need him to play, I feel like. So I'll take Jamel Cook. He's a unique athlete. I'm not sure yet all that they're going to give him. That's my question. Are they going to use him at safety? Are they just going to use him at nickel? Are they going to use him at corner? There's talk of that, and I think that's a possibility. Maybe not as one of their top, you know, frontline guys, but coming off the bench, he might get some run there. He's going to play. I'm just still trying to figure out all the things that they they're serious about with him. They've moved him around a little bit. And sometimes that's because they're not sure yet where they think he fits best. But Jamil Cook was someone I considered. Good pick there. I probably would have taken him if you had not. My next pick is going to be Wole Bakiku. We know that we knew it was going to be a project, but I think he the raw talent and athleticism is so great that he just might be someone that explodes in the latter half of his career. Even this year, I'm not sure yet how big of a role he'll have. It'll be bigger than last year. But when you're behind Port Augustine, and he's actually been working behind Ichinu Nwosu as well, which is a positive development for him. It shows that he's picking up more of the defense. But ultimately, he'll probably be a backup for this season. But then... I think the, 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 the door is open, or it's going to be open for him to do a lot more in the coming years. And I could see him, I don't know, I, I don't want to say Clay Matthews, but I could see something like that where maybe his role just kind of steadily grows 
and then third, fourth year, and now he's on the field every play, and he's electric. So I like the potential there. Okay. I'm going to take Carrie Angeline yeah, next. I uh, like that. You like that, okay? You, your your noise scared me for a second. I was like, no. did I make a mistake? That was like no, a buzzer or something. Like, no. <laughs> I okay. like um, I just feel I, also on top of liking Carrie Angeline, I feel like there's a chance that the door opens for him to be the guy. He takes it and then he like is that guy for you know until the end of his career and blows up and does a bunch of stuff. So uh, I'll take Carrie Angeline with my pick. Yeah, he's only a redshirt freshman. I think eventually he'll be that premier tight end on the roster. It's a bit crowded right now. So it looks like he might be the third guy this year. Maybe he can be number two. But if I think in the long term, that's a great pick. And I wish I would have made it. Okay. My next pick... Hmm... Tyler Bonds, who I also could have picked earlier. Like I said, he could be the, the top receiver. He could be the top player out of this class. And I think he's going to be the starter this year. I think going into the year, he will be a starting receiver. I think that that competition is going to be open in September. But I expect him to, to win it coming out of training camp and then really kind of have to lock it down with his play in the games. Okay. Adam, just so you know, you and I uh, disagree on Tyler Vaughn's. Um, okay, good. I have I have to say it just because on the message board I made it so public that uh, I, I thought that coming in he was overrated and he's a, he's a candidate to, to maybe, you know, not make it or have to transfer out or something. So I'm glad you like him so much because now we disagree and someone has to be wrong. Yeah, I, so I, I really don't factor in those rankings after I've seen them. That kind of goes out the window. I mean, of course it's going to it's gonna dictate the way I'm going to think about them before they get on campus. But once I've seen them practice, then I'm able to formulate my own thoughts and I, maybe I see how they work, you know, in the system. And I like Vaughn's. And while he did have a quiet start, and it was evident to me early last year, last fall, that he would redshirt, now I'm, I'm warming up to him quite a bit. And I think that he can have a great year. You know, it, it's right there in front of him. I mean, for any of these receivers outside of Deontay Burnett, they're totally unproven. And they can do as much yes. as they can. They can win. Yeah, I mean, you know, what I mean, as much as they can beat out their competition and connect with Darnold, there's really no limit to how productive they'll be. With a quarterback like that, you can catch 80 passes and 1,200 yards and 10 touchdowns. That's possible for any of them. Yeah. 
Two notes I want to make very quickly is one, I hope I'm very wrong about Tyler Vaughn's because he's a nice kid. Just from talking to him, interviewing him, I think he's a nice kid. I want him to do well. So I want to make that clear. I also want to say that I want to point out that I too uh, do not worry about the rivals' rankings in this draft. I believe that on my team, I have Jordan Iosefa, Jamel Cook, and uh, Carrie Angeline, who are all ranked three stars by Rivals.com and make up, uh, I believe, half or almost half of the three stars that USC had in this class. And we have a lot of four stars still left on the board, so I'm definitely not worried about recruiting rankings. I I know you know that about me, but I wanted to make sure everybody knows that about me. Oh, I know that you know that I know. I know. I know you know that I knew that you know that I knew you know. Okay. Is it my pick pick. now? Yeah, the ninth pick. It's my pick. You have two more. Ninth. Each. I have two more? Each? Oh, each. Okay. You scared me for a second there. Oh, I'll take Nathan Smith. I'll take Nathan Smith. Um, 6'7", kid. I feel like USC needs to figure out its tackle situation. For the long term, uh, I feel like he has a chance to be that guy eventually, you know, depending on if USC can develop offensive linemen, but he's going to be the guy I'm going to take because I feel like that tackle spot, it needs to be dealt with. They brought him in to deal with it. And, uh, you know, I I thought coming in, uh, you know, coming out of high school, I liked him a lot. We'll see. We'll see what happens with Nathan Smith, but uh, I'll take him because I I like his uh, long-term potential. I'm looking forward to getting an update on him because he is coming up a torn ACL that he suffered during bowl practices, he is someone that they were looking at as a potential starting tackle for the season. I think that's where they were trying to to nurture him toward. And that ACL, it's not going to keep him out for the year, but it's a major setback. I'm not really sure where he's at right now. Uh, my guess is that He'll probably have to work his way back in training camp and maybe be healthy sometime during the season. But he's already redshirted, so I don't know that they would not play him this year if he was available. Are you saying my pick is dumb? What? No, no. Are you saying my pick is dumb? (laughs) No, I I thought that he was one of the better-looking young offensive lineman on the team. But with that injury, it might just take a little bit longer. And there's that whole group of freshmen coming that are ready to go. And it, it's hard. I mean, it, it's hard when, when, you, when people start winning time and proving themselves and then you slot behind them. And it, it, it's not, I've seen it a lot where it doesn't really matter about seniority. It's availability and effectiveness. I think if, if Nathan Smith were healthy right now, I would have picked him a couple picks ago. So we, we hope that he makes it back because I think he does have a bright future. All right. My next pick... Hmm. I, I, there's a handful of people here that I think are worth considering. I'm going to go with 
the running back, Vavai Malapai. Okay. Yeah. I like I, it. He's gonna have he's gonna have a role this year. He's someone that would have played last year had he not I think he broke his collarbone, if I remember. He had an injury. That sounds that, right. Yeah, that, that forced him a red shirt. Basically it cost him half a year and then they they red shirted him. But I think that he can begin the season begin the season as at least the number three back. He's going to be competing with Oxcentric Ware. And I mentioned before, I think Stephen Carr ultimately will will leapfrog a couple of these guys and slot in behind Rojo. But I think we're going to see a lot of Avai early in the year, and we'll see what he does with it. But because he's a very all-around running back and they can use him in different ways, he has four years of eligibility left, and I think that he'll be productive. Maybe in different ways, maybe on special teams, maybe as a more of a receiver type running back. He's not going to lead the team in rushing, but I think he'll make a, an imprint on this program. Okay. I like that pick. All right. I'll make take, your last pick. I'll take Connor Murphy. Okay. Uh, because I just I look at who's left. I I like his potential the most. I believe. Uh, I think it's at a position that I think you always need guys there. So maybe even though uh, you know it's it's not like he's like starting right now or whatever. Uh, he could eventually be a guy there, I, I, and, I, and I like him to eventually do something, I feel like, and I feel like I, it's a good value pick at this point. Value pick. I love it. I love the Cody language. Okay. I'm going to pick Frank Martin. Right now, he's behind some veterans, and he can be forgotten because he's going to play guard in all likelihood, and that's the position where they're comfortable with the guys that they've had on the team for a couple of years now. But those guys are going to eventually move on, and Frank Martin I expect to be a starter. And I think he'll start for a couple of years, and you know, we, again, he's just someone that we haven't talked about a lot because it looked like it would take a while before he get on the field. But that's not to say that he won't be a good lineman. I think he will. Okay. Now, we did not draft the entire class, correct? No, we drafted 12. Are there anybody that you feel like, and you might just say everyone, but is there anybody that feels like, oh, they're right there, like we maybe we overlooked them by not picking them in the top 12? There's, a, there's about a half dozen other guys that we didn't name. Okay. And any of them could have been drafted. And I'm not just saying that to be nice. It's really, when you have that many people redshirt, there's still so much more to see from them. So all I have right now is spring practice and training camp from last year. I mean, when you're on the scout team, you're, you're performing a job more than you're competing. That's not usually, unless maybe, you know, there are certain positions where I think it's different for you 
and when you're the quarterback and you're leading that offense, that's a little bit different. But for a lot of these guys, they just got into spring practice with an opportunity to fight for playing time because they were going to redshirt. That's just what was going to happen when they got there last fall. So, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it might come off like maybe we're sliding some guys, but we're taking guesses with what we know. And if you ask me again in a month, or let's say two months after all of fall practice, I think we would draft quite a bit differently. Oh, completely. Yeah. Completely without question. I just, yeah. This I is the way I, I would be drafting it in April because off, going off of PRPs, not, not really much changes here. But this is what where I'm at after seeing them in spring practice. Yeah. I, I thought All for right, sure well, that you were going to draft EJ Price, by the way. You thought I would draft EJ Price? I thought for sure you would. Why? Uh, you and EJ have like a, like a kinship. Yeah, uh, yeah, I guess that's what you can call it. <laughs> okay. Okay, well, thank you, David Law. I always love that game. And I'm not just saying that. I really do. I'm glad you thought of it. I think it adds a lot to our podcast, so keep asking those questions. The West is best. I'm not sure if this is a serious question, but I'm going to ask it anyway because uh, I want to answer it. Uh, do we think LeBron James will be in Los Angeles next season? It's not Adam. a bad question. It's really not. Because I'm not confident that he'll be in Cleveland unless – he can flip because he's basically the GM. If he can flip Kevin Love for a third guy that he believes will help him unseat the Warriors, and I don't know that that's possible now, then I think he will leave. But now, will he go to the Lakers or the Clippers? Hmm... It's realistic. I, I don't think he'll be in L.A. next season, but it is realistic to think that. I'm going to say no. Um, I, I, I'm with you. I think he could leave Cleveland as well. I just feel like he wants to stay in the East. I don't know why. If you're, if you're the top player in the NBA and you can pick you know, any team uh, to build your super team or whatever, wouldn't you avoid the West where you might have, you know, three teams that they could compete with you. Maybe if you, even if you do build a super team, it seems like in the East, he kind of has that path. So I just think if he does leave, he's going to be looking in the Eastern conference before he's coming out West. That's just my feeling on it. No inside information though. I haven't talked to any of my LeBron James people recently, so I don't really have a handle on it. Okay. I like Thanks the question, for the question. Nonetheless. I do too. I like the little NBA, you know, I, I like little different things. I like when they make us at, you know, talk things outside of USC football. It makes me happy. So the West is best. Thank you. Appreciate the question. We're on to 79 USC 83. 
he asks, or she asks, they ask, a very interesting question. If SC had not been hit by sanctions by the NCAA after Carroll left, who do you think would be the current head coach? Is it reasonable to think both Kiffin and Sark would have had won a few more games with a complete roster? Would that have been enough, or would they have self-destructed for another reason? Adam, I'll let you start. I like this question, too. It's making me think. I think Kiffin would have had a longer run, as it was. He did go from 2010 to about the middle of 2013. I don't know that he would still be the coach now. I always felt like Kiffin was looking to win big at USC and leave. I didn't feel like he was aiming to be there for a long time. He'd gone to the NFL, and obviously it was dysfunctional with the Raiders, but that was more the Raiders than Kiffin. So I believe he had his eye on the NFL, and I think he still would um, if he could be the head coach. He doesn't want to be a coordinator. That's why he could climb the 49ers to be their offensive coordinator. Anyway, so I think Kiffin, without sanctions, is at USC. I think he wins. I think he wins enough. Enough that he could get another NFL offer. Then it's really hard to say. I don't think Stark ever comes. I don't think that... Um, I, I think that he probably flames out in Washington. He just stays in Washington and then... You know, I think they, they kind of grow tired of winning seven wins and winning seven games and then they move on from him. So maybe it, it could still be Helton because it, it could have even been around the same time. Just it would have happened in a different manner. I could see that happening because I feel like with Hayden as the athletic director, and, and maybe, and I, I think it's reasonable to think that Hayden could still be the athletic director if all the drama hadn't happened. Right? The sanctions kind of got that, you know, was the first domino, obviously. But without those, if you're, if you're operating in a different universe where there were no sanctions, then a lot of the other things that Hayden dealt with involving Kiffin and later Stark don't happen. So I could see Helton actually being the head coach. I, I'm not saying that that's like the only guy that it would have been. It, it's either going to be Helton or somebody else. Uh, you know, just not Stark, but just someone not connected to the the program right now. Yeah. What about you? All right. Are you ready? No. Okay. I'm crazy. I have a. I have a crazy answer. No, I have a crazy answer for you. I'm excited to answer this, okay? So, first of all, I think Lane Kiffin would have won a lot more if they weren't on sanctions. I think Lane Kiffin uh, probably could have left on his own terms at USC if they weren't under sanctions because I think the roster was the biggest problem with USC during his time. I know everybody points to the coaching and the play calling and on and on and on. I totally get that. I think they probably would have taken a step back, definitely would have taken a step back from Pete Carroll, but... With a full roster, I think they would have won a lot more. I think they would have won bigger. 
and I think he could have uh, he could have been successful at USC. Steve Sarkeesian, I think, would have failed anywhere he went because he had a drinking problem, and I think that that was the issue uh, more than anything. If he was sober, I think he probably would have succeeded at USC. To be honest, he would. He probably would have succeeded anywhere. Uh, I have a lot of respect for him. I just think that that's what got in the way. So I'm not going to say sanctions uh, hurt him. But I'm going to pick an outside-the-box pick here, and you're going you're gonna to find this crazy. Because to me, Pete Carroll left because of sanctions in a way. I know he was going to eventually leave. I feel like he would have eventually left to go back to the NFL. But I don't think it would have happened that way or that quickly. I think it would have been a different year uh, that he would have gone. Uh, maybe not. I get that theory too, but that's my personal opinion. Uh, so I look, I think about that, and I think, okay, if he stayed uh, an extra year or two or three, uh, you know, you have Lane Kiffin uh, firmly entrenched at Tennessee, and and maybe he's either doing great and he's a candidate for USC, or he's already not doing well and he's not going to be the guy. Uh, Sarkeesian's at Washington. Maybe they try to steal him. Maybe they're not. The guy I would think would be the most logical pick at that point if, if there were no NCAA sanctions and Pete Carroll had stayed an extra couple of years is Ken Norton Jr. Uh, I think he would have ended up as the coach at USC. Uh, I know it's, it may be a little crazy because he played at UCLA, but he's a Los Angeles guy. Um, you know, and right now he's the defensive coordinator of the Oakland Raiders. His college, or his sorry, his coaching career has uh, continued to progress uh, since he left USC. So I think, hey, you know what? If Carroll was there, if these other assistants had left and gone elsewhere and were you know entrenched in other things, uh, maybe he becomes the heir apparent. Uh, to Pete Carroll eventually, assuming that they keep winning and that he keeps getting promoted, um, you know, through the program. I mean, if he's the defensive coordinator for the Oakland Raiders right now, uh, if if you if you think about it, if he stayed on USC staff and he got promoted to defensive coordinator at USC and then Pete Carroll left, that seems like it'd be a pretty logical choice uh, to replace him at that point. So that's kind of the guy I'm going with. I'm going to say it would have been Ken Norton Jr. Okay, I don't mean to burst your bubble but the question is stated who would be the coach if they did not have sanctions after carol left meaning we're being put we're starting with june 2010 where kiffin is already the head coach and now we're working from there Uh, then i would say kiffin carol's gone and kiffin's the head coach and now we're asking seven years after that now who's the head coach I would take Kiffin and left unless he left for another job. Yeah, because okay. I think I think I think the guy. If you look at college football now, these programs, these big programs, generally don't lose big. Like they may they may fire coaches, change coaches, but the big time elite elite programs generally stay winning consistently. Uh, you know, throughout the years, and then maybe they go back to national championship level, or they they leave it, or whatever. Uh, so I believe that USC with Kiffin, if they didn't have sanctions, they had the full ro- roster. Yeah, yeah, They're still able to recruit the same way. You made point. Yeah, they wouldn't. Yeah. It wouldn't change. It just wouldn't change. Yeah. So I mean, I it would think, change a little bit, but not too much. I think he would stay that long. I think that he would have done well and left on his own terms, but I don't believe he would still be here seven years later. No, probably not, because that seven years is a long time to stay. But then it's like, who who knows who the coach would be yeah, at that point? Ma- maybe it is Clay yeah, Helton. That's so. my point. I think Helton yeah. could have remained on the staff and therefore become the coach, or they just hire a completely different guy that we're not thinking about right now. 
Yeah. Okay. But I think uh, Ken Norton Jr. was a great answer. So. Sure. Thank you, 79 USC 83. We're on to SD Thomas, who asks a question I know Adam I is going to love. Do you think Sark's mirror ball helmets are gone for good? Yes. Do you expect Clay to stick with the traditional uniform? So you say, yes, they are gone for good. Yeah. But the traditional unis, I think that they're going to change a little bit. Little modifications like we saw last year. I think we're just in this age where they're trying to sell everything. I mean, we're going to see ads on jerseys at some point. That's just the future. And I I know that's sad. It makes me feel bad to even utter that. But it's going to happen. It's happening in other sports. We're going to see ads. So I think that... The traditional unis, meaning what they've been wearing prior to last season, are they going to wear those forever? No. They'll change. But I don't think they'll be dramatically different, although an ad would feel dramatically different. But I think in terms of uh, the, the trim and those things, it won't be very different, but it'll, it'll change. It'll be updated little by little every, every few years or so. But those helmets, I hope no. that I, they're they're done. I hope if there are ads on the uniforms that they have to advertise like UCLA Medical School or something that just makes no sense. Yeah, you know, just you hope to really. For? Yeah, that's what I hope for. I always hope for chaos. You know me. Yeah. Okay. I hope um, I'm wrong. That's yeah. what I hope for. I hope that there will be no ads and that they do stick with the traditional uniforms. I love their uniforms, but I think that. They're just not, they're not here for the long haul. Yeah. Well, I think they ruined the traditional uniforms way back in the day when they stopped wearing leather helmets. So please stop with all this super fancy stuff. Go back to the retro, the vintage. Leather helmets, baby. Okay. Thank you, SD Thomas. We're on to Shay75, who asks, and this is totally, this is for Adam Maya. I'm not even going to answer this question. If it happens, when would you start to see players possibly transferring in or out of the program? Why won't you answer this? Because this is a beat question. This is totally... Did you answer the Penny Sewell, Cameron Latte question? I can. No. <laughs> okay. But you didn't. All right. I think this is general, but... Ordinarily, you would see that coming out of spring practice and officially once they've finished the spring semester, which concluded in mid-May. So they seem to have weathered that potential storm. It can also happen after training camp. Anytime you put out a new depth chart, which is why I think they're going to do away with all the depth charts, with, uh, in spring practice. The last couple of years, they haven't released them, and I wouldn't be surprised if they never do again because it just kind of opens the door for negativity and bitterness. But there might be a transfer you know, at the end of the summer, maybe. If guys were coming in, I think we would have heard about it already in the last few years. We, we already knew by this point when there was a grad transfer 
or even just a regular transfer. Their roster is also very close to 85, and they like to keep a little bit of room. That way, if they want to blue shirt a guy, if they want to take on a last-minute transfer, uh, they like to award a couple walk-on scholarships. So yep. uh, it, it looks like their roster right now is very close to being set. Um, if it's going to happen, I think it already would have happened, but it could still happen in the immediate future. Otherwise, it, it, it'll be quiet until the end of the season. Then it, it really kind of, I think the most popular time to transfer out is January. Yeah, I also I want to point out that uh, there were a lot of potential candidates for grad transfers to USC or transfers in general, I guess, to USC. Um, and I checked on a bunch of them. Um, and outside of uh, Devin Asiasi, USC wasn't too interested. I mean, uh, Bright Infohoko is a guy that a lot of fans were clamoring for, the defensive tackle formerly from Texas Tech. And USC didn't really pursue that, and he didn't transfer there. Uh, I think they had some interest in, I think it was Scott Pagano uh, wanted to transfer this year, but they didn't push for that too hard, and he didn't come. So it just really seemed like, like you were talking about with the, the roster being full, it seems like their roster is full. There are a lot of, like, big-name guys. You know, the, a lot of USC fans are like, well, that guy could help our roster. And uh, USC didn't seem to, to jump at any of them, really. So I think they're pretty much set. Okay, moving on. Yeah, so um, on to our intern, Drew Krinsky, who asks, and I'm assuming in a sarcastic tone, or at least that's I how I took it. I don't think being sarcastic. You don't think so? Okay. Mm-hmm. Will Sam Darnold return after this season? Do you want me to go first? Uh, you can go. I, I am prepared, I'll go. But you can go. You're prepared? I'm prepared because my answer is one word. He will well. It's not. It's not one word. I'll make it into a sense. He's not going to return after this season. I would put the percentages of him coming back at astronomically low. Very, very low. Uh, I, I think he's gone. I don't see a reason for him to come back at all. I think that unless uh, you know you were insane, you, you're gone. You're gone. There's no reason. And honestly, if he does come back, he's going to be gone because I'll hit him over the head with a frying pan and drag him to an agency and make him sign a paper, and it'll be over, and he'll have to go. So say bye to Sam Darnold. That's all I have to say. Yeah, I almost want to apologize on behalf of my media brethren. And I don't mean Chris. I actually mean... (laughs) A lot of other guys. No, a lot of the other people that we work with, because I think that they're selling false hope. This is a story that I've been tracking for some time, and even beyond just the reporting I've done, the facts are there. If Sam Darnold gets through the season without suffering any major injury. He's going to be projected to be, at worst, the third quarterback in the 2018 draft, but in all likelihood, number one, maybe number two, and therefore you're looking at a 
top five pick, he's gone. If that's the decision that he has, he's not coming back. The decision will make itself. I know that there's a lot of conversation right now about he's likely to play two more years at USC. There's a reason why no one will go on the record about that and why Darnold doesn't even entertain the question. Because it, it, it doesn't, doesn't do anything to talk about how I'm going to leave at the end of the season because I'm going to be a top pick. That's not his personality. So you're not going to hear it from him until he makes it official and confirms what we basically already know. That, again, assuming good health, that's pretty much the, the only qualifier that I need, the only caveat. Assuming good health, this is it. And I don't think that would bother anyone, except now there's all this talk about you know, he could come back and he is likely to come back. I've heard that. He's likely to return in 2018. No, he's not. He's not likely to come back in 2018. He's likely to be a top 10 draft pick in 2018. I think if he was eligible in this past draft, I believe he would have went number one. He would have come out of the combine as the top quarterback because there wasn't a consensus. The top quarterback ended up being Mitch Trubisky. I don't think there's much of a debate about who's a better quarterback prospect between the two. And so, if the Cleveland Browns had that pick and Sam Darnold was available, they're taking Darnold. And then I've also heard that, well, Darnold would rather play at USC than play for Cleveland or Buffalo or the Jets or whomever. Really? <laughs> He'd rather play for free than play for $25 million in the NFL? He's just going to give a year away for free? No. Yeah, I have to continue because there's, there's a few thoughts just, just going through my head. Um, I think it, first, I think that all the evidence too is there that for somebody making this decision, USC quarterback making this decision in, in 2018, which I, I'm guessing is when he will make the decision or announce it, that you should leave early. I think of uh, every USC quarterback, uh, you know, in the last what 10, 15 years now, um, and outside of Carson Palmer who really didn't have the opportunity to leave early because he wasn't good yet until his senior year. I can't think of one guy that I thought benefited from returning to USC for their senior season. And the, the guys that did do it, it seemed like it, it actually very publicly backfired on them. Uh, and I think that the smartest decision I saw was Mark Sanchez leaving and being drafted so high and making so much money without risking another year uh, in college maybe that would have exposed him or, or had him drafted differently because it, it turned out that Mark Sanchez was not 
you know, a great quarterback uh, for the NFL. And, and he still got paid. He, he left when he was going to get paid. So I think that if you just look at all the evidence, uh, that's the right decision. And then I think if you're a USC f- supporter or fan, you shouldn't want Sam Darnold to return. I know that sounds crazy and everybody will, will gasp and go, well, how could you say that? Of course we do. We could win a national championship with him. But don't you want the guy that's sacrificing his body for your school for years and played on your practice squad and helped your team get better and saved your season this year? The guy is basically a hero to the program. Don't you want him to do what's right for his family and his career? Because I'm telling you right now, I grew up in a good situation growing up. I wasn't a bad situation, obviously. If somebody came to me as a junior in college and said, you could leave college now. Now, uh, and and make all this money, millions and millions of dollars. I would have totally done it uh, to support my family. And you know, I, I don't have kids or anything. I, I know Sam doesn't have kids, but you know, just he, he has a sibling, he has parents. You know, it, it just it just seems like if I was advising him, and if anybody rational was advising him and telling him what's right to do, they would say, leave. Leave for the NFL. Make the money. This is a, this is not a game. I know it's a it's a sport, so it's you know portrayed as a game. But grown men are flying at him a hundred times a game, eighty times a game, trying to kill him. Why would you do that for free? Why why would you put yourself at risk and not take care of your family? He should run to the NFL. And anybody that advises him differently is literally the bane of Troy because they are advising one of the greatest players in the history of USC football player in the history of USC football. Somebody that, that should have a statue of himself on campus. Somebody that's going to help USC compete for so much and has already helped them compete for so much more than they could have imagined last year. They're telling him Risk your life for us. Put yourself in harm's way for the good of the school. That's not the advice you should be giving this young man. Well, if Just honestly. If anyone's wondering what Clay Helton's position will be, look no further than the advice that he gave to Sua Cravens, who wasn't going to be a first-round pick. And after three years, Helton told him, you gotta go. You're done here. You you've done your part. We thank you. We love you. We wish you well. Go to the NFL. That was the school of Cravens. And that's that's Helton. He's not a used car salesman. So he's not gonna be trying to talk Darnold into coming back if Darnold's projected to go in the top ten. And Darnold doesn't need to win the Heisman to be a top 10 pick. I really believe that only injury would force him down because that could prevent him from being able to to compete in the combine and those things and pro day and, you know, depending on the nature of the injury, there could be questions about his long term. But... If he's fine, he's going to play great. We've, we've seen that he's going to play great football. And then he'll be maybe the most coveted quarterback in the draft. He was already the talk of the combine this year after his redshirt freshman year. 
So yeah, I, this is a bit agitating because it's not news, and we shouldn't even be talking about this. But I do my due diligence, and I have talked to people that are close to Darnold, and they're telling me the opposite that you're reading. They're saying that, again, reiterating basically, that if Darnold's in the position that he was essentially in after this past season as the top quarterback prospect, then that's it. Yeah, and that should be it. Two more things I want to address Two because more? I just want I just want quickly, quickly. Come on. Quickly, Adam. 30 seconds. I just want to point out academics also doesn't matter cuz he's very close to graduating if not already graduated by the time this is being factored in. And I also just want to say you touched on the teams. The, there are bad NFL teams. People are saying that that he might want to avoid those teams. That doesn't matter in the NFL anymore. Great quarterbacks take teams to the top. It's a quarterback-driven league. He can go anywhere and win a Super Bowl. That, I'm done. That wasn't long. Yeah, you're right. You, you, you actually made that point before. It's a good point that it's not like great quarterbacks have been destroyed by bad teams. They weren't that great to begin with, and then they went to a bad team, and it just compounded. Yeah. If the team that drafts Sam Darnold, if he's the real deal, he can win a Super Bowl there. That's it. Yeah. Look at how there's so many examples of bad teams that have turned around with good quarterbacks. We're done with this issue, though. We've talked enough about this non-news, as I'll put it. So, But thank you for the question, Drew Krensky. It inspired a great uh, conversation, I think. We're on to Alpine Trojan 1, who asks, besides Chris Hawkins, how did he know? Who is your favorite Trojan to interview, and for what reasons? You start. Adam. Yeah. I start. Oh, I was worried you were going to do this to me. Okay, so you know, this team I don't think is full of a lot of great interviews, uh, to be honest. Uh, Sam Darnold is... Think of somebody. Go ahead. Yeah, it's tough. So to me, Sam Darnold's there, even though he's not a great interview at all, it, because he's just, it's just like I'm in awe of being around someone that great and I feel like there's a chance that maybe he becomes something so huge, you know, that years down the line I'm like, oh yeah, I talked to him. I was there, you know, when he was a junior in high school or whatever. Uh, so that that stands out to me, but he's not a great compelling interview. And there's really there's uh there's not a lot on this team. It's really it's hard for me to think <laughs> of some uh, No, I uh, I think Cameron Smith is a good interview. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm, um, geez, Michael Pittman's fun to talk to. I re- there's nobody though that really just stands out. Oh, Jackie Jones. Yeah. What really am I talking about? That I would got there. Jackie Jones is the interview. He's the guy because he says, well, he gives you the quotes first of all that that blows everybody's minds and is going to get everybody talking about your story and you know all that kind of stuff. But I also I love I just love his confidence and I know it drives people crazy and I understand why. But I, I told you this I think I even mentioned this on the podcast. He reminds me of James Tony, a boxer that I loved. Just that that 
that confidence and I feel like it's real. Like the reason he's that confident, he's not just saying it, it's because he actually is that good and he's just so convinced that he can't fail. Okay. That he's that confident. So I like Jackie Jones because it's fun to talk to him. It's always exciting and he gives you that quote that everybody gets all crazy about. Okay. Cool. I would say beyond Jack, who is a great interview, Kenny Bigelow is uh, someone that we just wanted to talk to more, but injuries have kind of forced him to the sideline. And then Daniel and Maturbebe. Really Daniel and Josh. But right now, Daniel. Really insightful, really intuitive, really intelligent, contemplative. I, I appreciate when people think about what you're asking them. He's candid. I'm going to go with Daniel McCurbevy. Okay. I like that pick, too. All right. Thank you so much, Alpine Trojan 1. Moving on to Darcy Bug, who I think is back. And I I feel bad for Exodus 1 now, but um, whatever. We're going to answer it. (laughs) And (laughs) keep asking those questions, Exodus 1. So uh, Darcy Bug says, who plays quarterback? Question mark. And then gives four scenarios. Uh, USC blowing out someone. Close game and Darnold goes down temporarily. Darnold goes down for more than one game. Darnold goes down for the rest of the season. And the reason I answered them all so quickly is because I, I just think it will be Jack Sears. Okay, really? Okay, I'm going to, yeah, okay. Huh, you, you go through it, though. Right you no. go through it. No, I, I think Sears is redshirting unless something particular happens. But USC in a blowout, it will be Matt Fink. USC in a close game and Darnold goes down temporarily will be Matt Fink early in the year and then later in the year that could change. Darnold goes down for more than one game. That also depends on when it happens. Early in the year, Matt Fink. Um, More than one game later in the year, Again, it, it, it could just depend on what their record is and what's on the line and whether it would be worth burning Sears' red shirt. And if Donald goes down for the season early in the year, then I think that is when they burn that red shirt and they play Sears. Maybe not right away, but eventually I think it kind of becomes open. Like if Darnold got for the year and it's late September, then Fink is the first guy, but then it'll be a competition and Sears could could eventually win that competition and get on the field. I also believe that there's an outside shot. Jalen Green moves back to quarterback if Darnold were going to be out long term. If they really did not want to burn that red shirt, because they're comfortable with, with Green's handle on the playbook and just all the reps that he's gotten in practice over the years, I could also see him competing with Fink and actually becoming a quarterback and keeping a red shirt on stairs. Now I'm going to ask, who are you going to listen to? 
the beat reporter that's there and watches all the time, or the guy that just loves Jack Sears so much he thinks he's just going to blow Matt Fink right off the field and just just take the number two spot. Who are you going to listen to? I know. It's tough. It's tough. Great question, though. And I love when we disagree because it gives the fans something to talk about and to take your side on. So thanks, Darcy Buck. I appreciate it. And we're on to Alan B31. Alan. Alan asks, Hi, and happy summer to the USC family. Question, how is Michael Brown uh, spot as Michael Brown's spot as the starter and his progress as well as the rest of the special teams fight on forever? Adam Maya is our resident special teams expert. <laughs> so Adam, tell me about Michael Brown and the special teams. Well, nothing's really changed coming out of spring. And even in spring, they didn't do a lot of special teams. They would give some guys some reps catching the ball, but they, they wasn't even a true kick return or punt return. So while there's a handful of people that are going to get that look in training camp, nothing's really been decided in, uh, in returns. I wish I could give you more on that, um, but just looking at the depth chart, you just see five guys on kick returns and five on punt returns because those were the guys that were getting those reps and expressed an interest. I think Bayless Jones is someone that could end up winning one or two of those jobs. Same thing with Jack Jones. Those are maybe like the two favorites, but... They, I don't think that they have an edge even. I just think that because of what they're able to do, they look like people that uh, could win that job. With Michael Brown, it's still his job to lose. Matt Bormeister's not coming back. Brown had a good spring. And at least you can feel encouraged about what he was able to do in that setting. I think that he'll want to be more consistent moving forward. But one thing that was interesting with him is that early in spring, they were giving him a lot of short attempts. And that's where he was a little bit up and down. And then they would gradually move him back. And he was more accurate. I don't know. I, I don't know if that's maybe a mechanical thing. And they're probably, I mean, Baxter is a stickler for details. And I think there are probably little things that he was working on where that would produce kind of an inverse result from what you would expect. But I know that Baxter really likes him, and I just look at the progress that Baxter made with Bormeister last year, in year one, after Bormeister would be, had been beaten out by a walk-on in Alex Wood in 2015. And Bormeister had one of the better kicking seasons that we've seen at USC in a few years. You just have to trust the process. There's not a lot of competition right now. USC's going to have a walk-on kicker to compete with Michael Brown. But I expect Brown to be the guy. But not much has really changed from spring because he's not someone that we're seeing at PRPs. And, again, there wasn't even a competition going on then. There will probably be some type of competition in training camp. And uh, I'll be sure to, to report on Brown accordingly. Okay, thank you, Adam. Well, thank you, Alan, for asking. 
Yes, thank you, Alan. Uh, we're moving on to Pilgrim 5. Pilgrim 5 asks, Jack Jack on O, just kids having some fun and throwing sessions or something we might actually see in games this year? And Pilgrim 4 liked his comment, and they're the same person, in case you're new to our message board. Adam, I'm going to say kids having fun because USC really, really, really needs cornerbacks, and they really, really don't need wide receivers. But T. Martin coaches on this team, so I want to hear your take. What, what could you possibly be referring to? Now, I think that... Maybe with a hint of lime, meaning he's having some fun. And we see this all the time. If Jack Jack was going to be on offense, wouldn't he have played it last year when they weren't playing in the yes. corner? And when they were yes. unsettled at the beginning of the year at receiver? And ultimately, you can always put people at receiver for a player kill. So I think that they were really serious about him becoming a receiver. They'd already be working him in much more in practice. I think that we could see him play a little bit in games, but we barely saw Dory, who's a generational talent. We barely saw him in offense. You think that we're going to see much more of Jack Jones? Come on. Love it. Adam, I just closing the door on that storyline. It's over. Adam shut He's the door very on important it. At We're on to, and he might be important on special kings. Completely agree. We're on to the West is best. Who I believe asked a question earlier, but I guess we're not following those rules anymore. Sorry, Exodus One. We'll do a strength and conditioning podcast just for you. I swear. Not really. West is best asks, who leaves early after 2017? Sam Darnold. Anyone else, Adam? Yeah, beyond Sam. I think it's likely that Rojo will go. Then after him, there's uh, there are a handful of guys. Uh, Biggie would be next if I were handicapping it. Biggie would be third. But then I feel like there's a, another cluster of guys that it really depends on what kind of year they have. Porter Gustin, Cam Smith, Daniel Mitterbebe, Rasheem Green. They need to have a big year, but they could have a big year. I think those are good players. And with the big year, they might be inclined to go. Yeah, I agree. Any, anybody I'm forgetting? Anybody that you could see leaving that I didn't mention? Uh, no. I think you got them all. I didn't mention Bianca Burnett. Okay. I'd be very surprised if he left early. Me too. That's why I didn't bring him up. May, okay, maybe Toa Lovingon, if he were healthy and had a great season because of the injuries, he might be inclined to go. So now we're on to, like, who could possibly, like, at any point kind of leave early, not who we expect yeah. to. Yeah, I, I think he's worth mentioning, but that's not someone right now that I'm expecting to go. Marvell Kell, I, I don't expect him to go. These are juniors that... Again, if they have a breakout season, the NFL could come calling. But the, the first people that we mentioned, Darnold, Rojo, Biggie, you could bet on them to go be, before you bet on them not to go. And then the next group are more like 50-50, I feel like. It really depends on what kind of year they have. Yeah. All right. I hope uh, All right. the West is best is satisfied with that answer. I know I was. 
We're on to Conscience B, uh, who asked, can we get a running back hot board? At least a, Do it. at least the top five targets and their chances of landing at USC. I'm actually not answering this right now, but I'm taking this opportunity to announce that this story will be on the site this week, uh, maybe by the time you listen to this even. So look out for it. I plan to do this. Um, I will say that no one has covered USC's recruiting of running backs the way we have. We've been all over it. I've talked to almost everybody. I've talked to guys that, uh, and, and have scoops on guys that, that people don't even know about. So check, you know, check out the site, check through the offer list, and go through these guys' stories. But I will put something together for you guys um, because I love doing these list stories, as you know, Adam, and I'm excited to do this one. And remember, we're covering running back recruiting like no one else, just like quarterback recruiting, which quick – plug no one else is covering the way usc is recruiting quarterbacks like we are no coverage is as good as ours on that and on running backs as well so make sure to stay tuned to the site and conscious be i promise i'll have this story for you and i'll go beyond the top five i'm going to give you everyone in the rivals 250 i might even give you some other guys it's going to be a long list for you i promise so get ready it's coming soon i'm going to interject real quick to ask you right now you just give me one word. You don't even or one name. You don't have oh, to gosh. explain it. But at quarterback, because you had that report on Fields indicating that he's very unlikely to come to USC. Who do you think they end up with right now? Who's your Who's your guess? Can I give you two names? Yeah, give me two. You say Jack Tuttle. If that falls through, Dorian Thompson Robinson. Okay. That was it. All I wanted. Okay. I like that. I thought you were going to ask me about running backs. It's about to come through, uh, come over the table or across the studio or whatever we want to call it, right? And uh, attack you. So maybe through the telephone. Oh, a little Jim Everett action? A little Jim Everett action. Why not? (laughs) Chris? Chris? Yeah. Oh, hey, I'll come get you. I'm surprised you're at. Chris? Yeah. I'll come get you. You're safe. Okay. You know you're safe right now. So that's well. It. Yeah, I can call you Chris. Right? Yeah, you don't mind. I actually don't mind. So believe it or not. Uh, okay, so we're on to tailback U one, I believe. Um, oh, this. So there's a question about Quincy Pendergast. Oh, d- from SCT. I, I, can you read it? I missed it. I'm sorry. Can you just read yeah. it? Go ahead. Sure. Okay. It says. When other universities start coming for Quest to Pendergast, will Nikias give Swan the ammunition to fight to keep him, or will he wimp out? Um, I, I think USC could contend with most schools for the, for to keep their defensive coordinator. I don't think Pendergast is really in line for a head coaching job. Maybe I'm speaking out of line, and maybe he is, but that's what I would see in college attracting him away from USC because USC is one of the better paying defensive coordinator jobs and they paid for Pendergast I know that and I, I don't really see you know maybe a job that's higher paying than USC picking him as their first pick I don't know not not anything against him I just feel like you know if you're shelling out that kind of money he might not be that first guy uh that you want um I think that he could definitely leave to the NFL, and I don't think USC is going to do anything about that because I just think he's that kind of guy. But college, I, I think that they can compete with anybody to, com- to keep him as a defensive coordinator in college. Yeah, you threw a little wrinkle in there that I wasn't expecting. You know I did. 
him being a head coach because I do agree. I don't think another school is going to take him and make outbid USC to make him their defensive coordinator. I think it would only be the NFL. That would be the only thing that he would leave for. And I think if he continues to do well, I think he will go to the NFL. Yeah. All right. Thank you for catching my miss, Adam, and SCTBU. Thank you for the question. Down with the Coliseum and all that. I'm sure we'll catch up with you about that soon. Um, Tailback U1. Tailback U, something that Adam prefers to running back you. He asks a question, or she. I hate when people call it RBU. Come on. So Tailback U1 must be like your favorite poster, or not. I don't know. Good question, though. I like this, and uh, I'm going to get in trouble again, so I can't wait. Uh, <laughs> this is our final one, by the way. This is our final question? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's our final question. I thought there was another one underneath it. What do I know? Tailback U1 asks, Nearly everyone is a Clay Helton fan now, and you don't see any negativity about him on the boards anymore. Sands every now and then someone that wants to give 100% credit to Sam. Oh, Chris Swanson, you stop posting on the message board. I wasn't on Rivals back then, so my question is, how did both of you feel about him then, and how do you feel about him now? If you have time for a follow-up, which I'm sure we will, what does he do that you like best, and what does he do that you like least? Adam, would you like to start, or should I start? I'll let you assign. I can begin. We can we can kind of go back okay. and forth here because um, there are a few questions here, and we were I think pretty open yeah. and honest yeah. about our feelings mm-hmm. when he was hired. I was taken aback, and as much as I was happy for him because I've gotten to know him, and I think he's I think he's a wonderful person. And so I'm, I was excited for him to have that opportunity, just on a friend level. But professionally, with my role as a beat writer, it made me scratch my head. I thought that USC needed to get away from this formula of going back to their coordinators and trying to groom their next coach. I thought that they were in position to hire or pursue at least NFL guys and established college coaches. So I didn't think that that was a great idea. Even though it wasn't clear to me that he wouldn't coach well. I think what I didn't like about it is that I feel like it was so risky. A lot of people were calling it safe hire. And I looked at it really in the opposite, where I felt like I think this is a bigger risk by hiring someone that hasn't been a head coach before to lead such a big program with expectations to win right away. So that's how I felt then. How do I feel now? I feel like he's proven me wrong in some respects. I think he did an outstanding job in year one, and I don't think it's fair to give Sam Donald 100% credit for what USC accomplished last year. And I think that when the team is 1-3 and, and you finish 10-3, and three, 
Uh, it takes a lot of character and a lot of resolve and a lot of trust to turn that around. It, I don't see it just being a quarterback change. I think that that obviously is probably the biggest reason. If there was a pie chart, I would give the, the biggest percentage to that. But it wouldn't just make up the entire pie. And I think Clay Helton is uh, a healthy piece of that pie as well. So I'm happy to be proven wrong on that, in that regard. Why don't you tackle that question? You're a much nicer person than I am, Adam. Much nicer, because I'm still not willing to admit that I was wrong. Like you, I was very open. Um, too open. Too open. I'll even go that far. Uh, about my uh, dislike for this hire. I remember I had a podcast where I tore Pat Hayden apart so badly that um, I could never look him in the eye uh, after that podcast. Um yeah, I had a few rants about this. I was not a fan. I thought it was a terrible hire. I hated it. I didn't see any reason or sense behind it whatsoever. And I thought that the people making the decision had gone crazy. I really did. Um, obviously, USC won 10 games. Uh, they won the Rose Bowl. So, right? What can I say? It looks like I was wrong. Now, I don't think I was wrong, though. I really don't. Um, and I say this first with a note of I like Clay Helton a lot. I think he's a really nice guy. I feel absolutely terrible because there's no way he can like me as a person, the way that I talk about him and the way that I feel about this hire. Like, really, it makes me feel awful because he's, like, the nicest guy in the world. And it's like, oh, Clay Helton probably hates me. And I don't feel good about it. But... The hire to me, I still feel like it's going to fail. I really do. I look at it and I think USC had the best quarterback in the country this last year. And they, they won almost every game that they had him uh, in. And uh, they played really well with Sam Darnold. But when they had Max Brown, who should be a completely competent quarterback for a Division One program, they were terrible. They were just terrible. I mean, like... They had many, many months to prepare for that Alabama game, and it looks like they rolled out of bed you know, the night before without doing their homework and showed up for a test and failed it because uh, they got blown out, and you know, Stanford handled them. And I even think, you know, even with Darnold, Penn State, I know they were a good team. It was a close game. But, gosh, USC, when they were really back, they would have probably handled Penn State. I mean, they used to blow out those teams in the Rose Bowl like by like 20 points or whatever. So I still have all these questions. Um, I'm much... I feel much more confident about the hire, I guess. I, and I get why people would feel more confident about it and feel like, hey, you know, this isn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Um, but it just still, it just feels like it can't work. It feels like to me, you know, when things don't make sense, when it doesn't seem logical, when the hire didn't seem logical, you basically put the guy in the fast lane who is the quarterback's coach and made him the head coach in like a year or whatever. It just doesn't seem like it can work out. So, I'm not ready to say I was wrong. I really like Clay Helton. I hope he does well. But I really feel like, you know, after Sam Darnold leaves, let's see what happens because I look at that offensive line. Still seems like a mess to me. I'm still not sold on a couple of other positions. Their defense was still a little thin to me. Played much better. But I'm not ready. I'm not ready to say SC's back. I'm not ready to say he proved me wrong. He did a great job and everything's hunky-dory. I'm just not ready for that yet. Um, I like the guy, though. I do. But I just feel like this experiment will eventually fail. I do. 
Okay, that's fair. Now, the follow-up, what did we do that you like best, and what did we do that you like least? You want to give us? I'll tackle it because I actually I have um a, I I think the perfect answer an answer that I think okay. does very well. So what he does that I like best is um. I don't know if this is something he does, but him as a person, and I know that seems weird, right? It's like not something he does, but I actually think that's his his best quality is usually when you think of a football coach at a top program. I'm not going to say they're slimy people or bad people or anything but like that, but you think guys that are about business first, their business decisions, you know, it's about the program, about their career, et cetera, et cetera. I really – Clay Helton is the first – head coach at a program like USC that I really feel like he really, I know, I just know he really cares about the kids. I know that, you know, his decisions probably go beyond what's best for the university and what's best for him and extend to what's best for those around him. I feel like he's a really good person. And that's what I like about him the best. I feel like that helps him recruiting. I feel like kids see that. I think that if he keeps winning and if USC does, you know, jump back to that level it was at, it's going to go really far for him because people are going to look at him as, oh, Clay Helton is a very genuine person. And you really can't say that about a lot of coaches, I, I don't think, or head coaches. You just don't feel that way. Maybe a lot of them are, but you just don't get that feeling. And and he has that feeling for me, and, and he's somebody that I, that I want to win and that I want to root for. And that's a great quality, and if he does pull it off, you know, it, it, that could help take him, you know, anywhere. The sky's really the limit because that's a quality that I feel like not a lot of people – in any profession or, you know, just throughout people that you meet in life that they have. So that's what I like about him the best. I feel like that's an easy answer for me, even though it might be a little bit of a crazy answer. What I like about him the least actually uh, stems from that, though, and uh, that is that I feel like because he is a good guy, because he does delegate things and trust people and, you know, um, and trust people make the right decisions for the program and all that, that I feel like he gives his coaches a little bit too much power in terms of recruiting, the, the shaping of the roster and all of that. We talked about rec- whoever could you be. I'll tell you, I'll just tell you because everybody knows at this point, I mean, we've talked about receiver recruiting and how it's ridiculous this year, how they took too many last year and on and on and on. He lets T. Martin do whatever he wants. If I were him, I'd say, look, T, we're going to take two receivers in this class. Figure it out. Don't offer 50 dudes. Uh, Special teams, I think they've recruited kind of crazy on special teams recently. It seems like they're always taking a kicker, a long snapper, something, a holder, a punter. And it's like, do you really need these guys? And I feel like that, again, goes back to his personality and trusting John Baxter to shape the roster a little bit too greatly. I feel that way about tight ends going back to Baxter, too, with recent recruiting. They don't need a tight end in this class. Uh, they might take two for all we know. I mean, really, uh, they took two last year. It, it just, it's overdone. Um, I mean, gosh, uh, offensive line recruiting is not something that's gone out of control, but I reported today that USC is recruiting a second center. You know, maybe he won't play that position when he gets to college. Maybe they'll move him. Maybe Dietrich will play a different position. Maybe, you know, uh, uh, Brett Nealon won't play center something. Maybe there'll be some change, but it seems like Gosh, why would you think at a class where it looks like it could be pretty small, why would you even think to recruit two centers? It seems ridiculous. Uh, so that that is what bothers me, is that I feel like there's too much of that. There's too much of like, oh, you got, I trust you guys to figure it out. And when you do that, 
position coaches fight for their guys. You know what I mean? T. Martin, as much as he's interested in USC and them winning and that helps his career, I mean, it helps his career if USC's wide receiver position is the best thing on the roster and that they're viewed as the reason they're winning and it's good for his career if he you know, signs and recruits all these great receivers. It's good for Neil Callaway's career if he can stock up offensive linemen or for Baxter's a special teams coach if he takes this guy, this guy, this guy in this class. So, to me... That's what stands out. There's got to be a point where Clay Helton, as trusting as he is, says, you know, this is what I think is best for my team and my program, and I have to put the kibosh on this, and we're not offering 50 receivers and six tight ends, and we're not taking a long snapper. So that's all. But that quality stems from a quality that's very good. So I can't be overly critical, even though I just was. Yeah. My, my answer is different, but it's probably in the same vein. What, what I like least is that if I'm looking for not necessarily anything negative, but I'm looking for maybe a critique, I'm looking for analysis on a player, too often time he won't answer the question directly and he will just kind of accentuate every positive or he'll rehash things that we might already know and you only get so many questions with him especially in a scrum and you got to make them count and there's a lot of bad questions being asked <laughs> and it, it just makes it hard when he's spending a lot of the time just complimenting guys repeatedly it's a bit redundant um, because he's our best source of information for, you know, for the roster as a whole. But what I like best about him, and not to be uh, taken as a contradiction, but he's so approachable. And I think he just has these special qualities that are rare in this industry. And as a reporter covering a team and dealing with a coach on a regular basis, I don't take it for granted. And we, we sat down for about half an hour a couple months ago, or I guess a month ago, and we'd done that before. And I know that if I want to do that again, I mean, I can't just do it regularly, but I can approach him and I can ask him for that time and he'll give it to me. And he'll, he'll do that with other guys. He doesn't play favorites. He's very fair. And I think that he's... He's like that in all walks of life, with his players, with people at the university, with the media, with prospects. We probably have said this enough that people are maybe sick of it, but it, it still stands out to me. It's still special. It's still different. I mean, a lot of the people that I talk to are other reporters and they're covering other teams. and. They're desperate for access and time with the head coach and information. Sometimes maybe the coach is there, but he's not saying anything, or he's you know selling you on something, you know, and, and or flat out lying. That's what I'm used to over the years, and and that's not helping. I know he's uber positive, but at the same time, um, he is genuine. You know, this is just the way that he is and the way that he talks about things and the kind of the position that he takes. So I don't think he's 
always trying to manage, you know, or dictate the, the story. It's just because that's the way that he talks and the way that he looks at things, the way that he evaluates things. So it's hard to get that critical tone from him, even when you really need it. But I'll take it. Uh, you take, you take it all. And uh, Helton has been, you know, one of the best that I've been able to cover in my career. I think we're good, right? Yeah, I think so. I think it's a safe bet too that of this staff, you're probably Helton's uh, favorite. Just a guess. I'm just guessing. I don't really know. Um, one last thing. Wait, what do you mean? Of, of this staff, meaning you and I? Yeah. Okay. You say he doesn't play favorites, but I know who his favorite is. I made it an easy choice. Okay. Well, I, I, he treats me as well as he treats everyone else in the beat. And I wouldn't want it differently. I mean, I, I know, again, elsewhere, it's a competition. And, and you want to be liked by the coach, and you want him to help you out. But I'm fine with him being good to everyone. I, you know, as opposed to he's good to me and crummy to everyone else. Yeah. That's not what I want. That's not what I hope for, though, because as you know, I don't get along with anybody. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess that's our show, huh? Oh, before we go, if, if you feel like we didn't answer your question, ask me personally on the message board, and I'll be happy to type up a whole thousand, two thousand words for you on it. So, just that note. Uh, but thanks again for listening. Thanks for asking questions. We always appreciate it. If you are not a subscriber, subscribe. Please, please subscribe. You can ask questions to us on the message board. It's such a great reason to. USC.rivals.com slash sign underscore up. Please sign up. Um, and that'll do it. Uh, happy Monday to everybody. I hope we get this up to you before the end of the night. I know we will because Adam's in charge of it. Uh, so thanks again. Uh, for Adam Maya, I'm Chris Swanson. Really appreciate you guys listening. And take care. Be good.